And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back. It's another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoe with you. Uh, the NHL offseason is in full swing. We'll chat about the latest developments, including the seismic news from Minnesota, where both Ryan Suter and Zach Parisi were bought out on the same day. We'll get to Sean's thoughts on Pierre Maguire's hiring uh, in Ottawa. In Granger Things, Jesse Granger will give us the early odds for the Stanley Cup next season. We'll chat about which offseason moves could potentially affect those odds. We'll open up the mailbag, answer a couple of questions about the Buffalo Sabres offseason plan, and we'll debate if the 2019 St. Louis Blues actually qualify as a Cinderella team that won the Stanley Cup. And this week in hockey history looks uh, behind the bench as Mike Keenan bolts from the New York Rangers about a month after winning the Stanley Cup, and Pat Quinn adds the title of general manager to his portfolio. But as we kick off this show, Sean, I think we need to point out, um, no need for you to adjust your phones, double-check your phones, your smart speakers, however you're listening to us, on this Wednesday. That's right. I said it. It's a Wednesday. Uh, we've done a little bit of a trade. So again, if you're looking for the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show podcast with Pierre Lebrun and Scott Burnside, they're coming on Thursday for the rest of the month. So it's a little bit of a trade here, and I know I'm a little bit thrown off here. I'm not going to lie to you. But Sean, it's a Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, the great ones can adjust to any situation, so we might be in trouble. But <laughs> Scotty and Pierre will be fine. They'll be yeah. good. Exactly. All right, listen, before we kick this off, I got to I got to tell you how much I enjoyed. I mean, I always enjoy your stuff, but certainly your mailbag this week. The one question that I loved that you tackled was the was the person who said, "Sean, you get three questions. You get to inject Gary Bettman with truth serum." And you could ask him any three questions. Now, what I loved about this is that you you know, on one hand, you played the serious journalist role where you're like, yeah, listen, there's some legitimate questions to be asked about CTE and concussions, the Chicago Blackhawks. But anybody who knows Sean McIndoe, who knows Down Goes Brown, knows that if he could inject Gary Bettman with truth serum, he's not, he's going full, like, you know, maximum chaos. How can I have fun with this? So let's, before we get into the news of the day, we're going to ask Sean if he, if for the, the, the benefit of our listeners, you get three questions to Gary Bettman. What's Sean McAdoo asking? Yeah. And, and this is, 
I'm open to suggestions, by the way, on this one. So if if anybody out there wants to wants to hit me up uh, uh, with something that they would like an honest answer from Gary Bettman on, but the the three that I came up with, the first one is I want to ask him: Do you actually think that the loser point makes the playoff races closer? And this is just because I just want him to have to look me in the eye and say, no, of course we don't actually believe that. That's just marketing thing that we say, and we hope that the fans and the media are too dumb to think about. Uh, I just want him to say that. I know the answer to this one already. No, no person in the NHL actually thinks that giving points to everybody makes the playoff races any closer. Of course it doesn't. It doesn't stand up to five seconds of thinking about it, but they keep saying it. So I want him to admit to me that uh, that he's known all along that that was BS. Uh, the next thing I came up with is I want a ranking from Gary Bettman of every owner from worst to best as far as who's the biggest pain in the neck to deal with. That's what I want. Who do you like? Who do you tolerate? And who are you like letting all the calls go to voicemail because you're you're just tired of dealing with them? I want that ranking. I've made more than my share of rankings in my day. I want Gary Bettman to make one for me. Uh, and I think that would be fun. And then I think my last one was I, I just wanted him to, uh, I just want to hear him talk trash about people I know he doesn't like. I, I want to hear about Bob Goodnow. I want to hear about John Scott, Ron McLean, uh, all those guys. Uh, maybe some of them will find out he he doesn't actually mind, uh, and maybe some of them will will get uh, uh, will get some good sound bites out of him because uh, you know you you can't hold a job like Gary Bettman's head for all these years and not make a few enemies along the way. And I want to hear him. Talk a little, uh, talk a little trash about those guys. Yeah, I'd love. You know what? The owner question would be great too. Again, you get truth serum because I'm sure, right? There's probably some high maintenance owners. There's probably some low maintenance owners. There's probably a whole bunch in between. And to be able to get him to kind of say that, like, like you said, it'd be curious. Be uh, you'd love to know what does he think? He looks at his phone and he sees, you know, T Pagula or E Melnick, uh, yeah. you know, coming up. Or, you know, or like, does he take? Does he hit the, the uh, the option to go right to to voicemail? And does yeah. Gary Bettman have a personalized greeting, or do you think he has just the standard? You know, you have reached. Yeah, yeah. To- I don't. Fe- I don't feel like he's got like a wacky bit that he does in his voicemail. <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't strike me as that sort of guy. But I bet. Yeah, there there are probably some times he sees like unknown caller and he answers, and it's it's. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those owners, and then he has to fake like it's the voicemail. You know, like he says hello and awkwardly pauses, and then he's like, yeah, "You've reached Gary's voicemail," and uh, yeah, I I could see that for sure. It's uh, he's he definitely feels like a guy who screens those calls and then gives you the like, "Oh, dude, I thought I texted you back. I'm so sorry. It looks like I didn't hit send on it. That's <laughs> that's on me. Sorry, bud." Yeah, my voicemail's been a bit spotty lately. That's uh, that's yeah. always a classic. Yeah, Gary Bettman definitely around CBA time lets his voicemail fill up on purpose, and then uh, and then lets all his calls go there. That that seems like a Bettman move. Oh man, uh, where, where do you think Chris Chelios ranks? I know you you didn't let rank him on that list. Of that's the, a good one. You know, yeah, John. You had John Scott, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Bob Goodnow, and Ron McLean. And I'm wondering where Chris Chelios, because, you know, for the list, the, the younger listeners may not know this because we talk about the, the collective bargaining stuff. In the mid-1990s, during the lockout of 1994 into 1995, uh, then-Chicago Blackhawks defenseman Chris Chelios had one of the most unhinged quotes ever about in, in the history of collective bargaining in pro sports, where he essentially 
threaten the safety of the then uh, of Commissioner Gary Bettman by saying, you know, something. Al- I, I don't have the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, you know, he better watch his back when he's out in public because people don't like the way this is being handled, right? Yeah, and it was first of all, this is the '94 lockout, which is now like almost the forgotten. NHL lockout because you look back and you're like, what did they even do that for? They lost half a season. They didn't get a salary cap. They didn't make any really major changes. Uh, and yeah, I, I've got the quote right here. Chris Chelios, and this was like in October. So this thing hasn't even started yet. This is early. This is, yeah. this is early. Like you thought, like, like Chris, like, you know, th- let's save a little bit of it for, uh, yeah. you know, for a few months in. But you got to remember the NHL at this point has never had a significant work stoppage. They've had a player strike two years ago that lasted like a week. They've never had a lockout. Uh, this new guy is coming from the NBA, and this is his first impression. And Chris Chelios says, and this is the quote, if I was Gary Bettman, I'd worry about my family, about my well-being right now. Some crazed fan, or even a player, who knows, might take it into his own hands and figure if they can get him out of the way, this might get settled. You hate to see something like that happen, but he took the job. That's, that's unbelievable unbelievable i mean that's and 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 it keeps it like it's such a long quote too like you know sometimes we've all been maybe in a situation where something comes out of your mouth and instantly you go you know what i, I shouldn't have said that but he just keeps doubling down on it basically threatening gary bettman watch your back uh because some fan or player uh might uh might come looking for you and uh he he was i i'm I think he was fined and, you know, a bunch of stuff like that. And, and I think he did apologize. Um, but yeah, you, there's, there's bad feelings out there, but, uh, that one was an all timer. And, uh, you know, even, even at the time it was, it was hard, even in those early days to drum up a lot of sympathy for this, this new commissioner who was coming in and shutting the league down, but that might've done it because that was, uh, that, <laughs> that was over the line, uh, by several miles. Yeah, and that that again, like you said, you have to kind of differentiate between the lockouts. There's the 94-95 lockout, cost half a season, 0405 wiped out the entire season, 1213 uh took out half the season just before that 1213 lockout though, Sean. And that brings us to some some something that's very topical today. The Minnesota Wild in the summer of 2012, just before that collective bargaining agreement, uh the new one went into place, signed Zach Parise and Ryan Suter to monster 13-year contracts, which at the time, we were like, oh, man. Like, they're not going to see the end of those contracts. I think we all thought, okay, it's it's a bold, splashy move. These guys wanted to play together, go back home. So we understood it. But this week, and Mike Russo with some terrific reporting, it, as part of Mike Russo's reporting in Minnesota, Sean, with The Athletic, he says uh, the way this played out, Ryan Suter hung up the phone on wild general manager, Bill Guerin, when Bill Guerin phoned him this week to say, uh, listen, we're, we're, we're cutting ties. uh, We're buying you out. He hung up the phone on the general manager. So this is not, this is, this feels like there's a little, this is an acrimonious departure. Like, and I understand a lot of buyouts and that way there's some, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, some bad feelings, but I mean, how, how do you look at the Suter and Parise legacy? in Minnesota because clearly they were brought in to take this team over the top and they never, uh, if I'm not mistaken, never got as far as the conference final. Yeah. And that's it, right? Because when this, these contracts were signed back in the, the height of the 
super long back diving contract. There there were more than a few of them signed back then. And the deal was that you gave a player a ton of years and a ton of money. But because of all the years, it it kept the average value low. So so the cap hit was would be manageable. And you signed the deal knowing that on the back end, it it was probably going to be bad news. And it was probably going to be either a buyout or you'd have to look at uh, various ways to shake free of it. But a lot of teams... It, they, it's short-term thinking, right? You're a GM. You go, I, I want this guy right now. I want to win right now. And if this doesn't work out 10 years from now, I'm not going to be the GM anyway. So it'll be someone else's problem. Uh, and that's that's what turned out uh, in to, to happen in Minnesota. And, and look, I don't think even in 2012, when these deals get signed, if you said that by 2021, the Wild are going to be looking to get out of these deals, I don't think anyone would be surprised. The question was always going to be what happens in those early years, uh, Suter and Parise, I, I think were both about 27 years old when the deals were signed. So still a few years left of their prime. Um, what's what's going to happen? How far are they going to take us? And as it turned out, they, they didn't really take them all that far. Not that that's on those two guys, uh, but the Wild, uh, they, they, they make the playoffs that first year, losing the first round. Then back-to-back years where they win a round, and then over the last, geez, what, six six years since, have not won a round since. So I mean, really, no no way around it. The the signings were a failure in the sense of what they were designed to do, which was to push the Wild over the hump from being an okay playoff bubble team to a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. They they just never got there. Had a couple of of very good regular seasons, um, but just just always one of those stuck in the middle teams that almost became the wild identity. So uh, they, they, the contracts themselves, you, you can't say that they worked. Uh, and now, boy, this is to, to buy out both of them. The Parise one, I don't think shocks anyone um, because Zach Parise had, had not been an effective player for the wild for the last couple of years. They nearly traded him. Uh, a year ago, and you know he had been a healthy scratch, been playing fourth line minutes. Um, that happens sometimes when when forwards get to that age. Ryan Suter was still playing reasonably well. I mean, the, Ryan Suter isn't isn't Norris candidate Ryan Suter anymore, but he's still a, a decent enough defenseman. You put him on a second pair, uh, and you, you can win with that guy. And and to buy him out as well, I think that's the part that shocks us. And uh, yeah, I mean. He's if he hung up on Bill Guerin, I can't say I'm all surprised because I didn't see anything about this, and maybe you did, but I didn't see anything speculating uh, that uh, that this bio could be coming. I'm sure it was a shock to him. And look these these guys are these guys are human beings first, right? I mean, you 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 get a phone call out of nowhere saying, "Hey, your your whole family's got a uh, is going to have to leave where you're from. You're going to have to move somewhere. You don't know where, but your whole life has just been disrupted." I can see why he's ticked off. It is a business. You knew this was a possibility when you signed that big contract. But the question now is, what the heck are the Minnesota Wild going to do going forward with a, a, a salary cap situation that's just going to be completely mangled by these buyouts being on the books? Yeah, and, and in a couple of years, I mean, it's what, $14 million and change that uh, counts against the cap? Uh, yeah. that, that's a lot of money of, of, in, a, in a flat cap world. To have $14 million 
tied up in dead money. That that's that's going to be prohibitive. And I think, look, there's a lot of people say they they did this to clear the deck for Jack Eichel, which maybe there's some truth to it. But you're also, man, it's a uh, it's. I think they're going to be handcuffed here. But they, they, I think they must have absolutely. felt they were going to be handcuffed the other way too. And that's right? it. That's it, right? I mean, the the thinking here is if if you're Bill Guerin. And the way that he described it in Russo's article is basically, I mean, again, we know Zach Parise didn't feel like that was a long-term fit anymore for the Wild. And maybe they felt like Ryan Suter was getting close to that point. And because of the way the contract is structured, if they've waited one more year and bought him out a year later, they, the, the savings don't really work in the same way. And, you know, there is that that old that old saying that you have to ignore sunk costs, right? If, if, if you've signed bad contracts and you've got bad contracts on the books and you don't feel like these players are going to be useful, if you feel like they're going to be replacement level or below, uh, then that contract's going to be on your books anyways. You might as well do what you can to minimize it. And then if you have to eat the rest of it, well, you were going to anyways. And uh, yeah, I mean, maybe Zach Parise was going to be replacement level. Uh, and maybe he already is. Uh, Ryan Suter wasn't there yet. Uh so unless they they feel like they saw something that that really worried them, that's the part again that doesn't make a ton of sense. But yeah, it frees up about ten million in cap space this year, but only this year. That's it. So yeah, you've got enough space now. You could go out and get Jack Eichel for one year, and then what do you do? I mean, now a year from now, you're sitting there uh, when when these these cap hits really kick back in. It, it gets you a one year vacation, and that's it. Um, and I don't know how much you can really do with that as far as going out signing a big free agent. There's no big free agents are going to be looking to sign one-year deals. Uh, so I, I, they're just kicking the can down the road. And next offseason, boy, they're going to be in a real tough spot, especially assuming that, uh, you know, that they're able to resign Kaprizov and, and get him under it a reasonable number. He doesn't, you know, I mean, if he goes back to the KHL, then I guess that's a different deal altogether. But that's a disaster if you're a Wild fan. You're not... Uh, uh, you're you're praying that doesn't happen. I don't know. I'm just looking at all these different scenarios. And again, if they really believe that Parise and Suter were just not good players anymore, then I, I guess this is slightly better than nothing. But I, I just don't see how you look at Ryan Suter's game over the last few years and come to that conclusion. So here's my here's my hypothesis. Um, in light of Suter and Parise getting bought out, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Alex Ovechkin is the only player in NHL history to sign a contract north of, you know, we'll call it nine years, 10 years, whatever you want to say, that actually was worth it. That every other long-term deal, whether obviously Rick DiPietro is going to come front of mind, Prize and Suter, I guess Marion Hosa falls into that category. Um, honestly, am I right on that, Sean? Is Alex Ovechkin the only guy to sign a contract of that length and actually have it work out. I, I feel he and Crosby, I think, because Crosby's the other one. He's on a, his deal right now is a, I want to say a 12 year deal and it's still got a few years to go. So, you know, who knows, but uh, that one also looks good. I would say those are the only two guys where you could say the contract looks good for the entire life of the contract. Now, I think if you're a Blackhawks fan, you could look at, the Duncan Keith deal and the Marion Hosa deal and say, you know what? Both of those weren't looking great by the end. And in Hosa's case, if, if he hadn't had the early retirement, it, it would have been a real issue. 
But you look at that and say, like we said, you know, when you did these long deals, you were looking for the first few years, and for the first few years, it worked. They got they got two really good players, Hall of Fame players, at a low cap hit, won championships. That's what they were looking to do, and the the pain that was going to come at the end was baked into the process. That was part of the design, so you're okay with those deals. I don't think any Chicago fan goes back in a time machine and undoes either of those contracts, knowing how they worked out. Um, but that's pretty much it. I mean, Shea Weber is, you know, we, we've all kind of been waiting for, for the Shea Weber contract to look bad, and it it's, it's still hasn't yet. Still got a long way to go on that one, but, um, you know, that one is is maybe one that could push across the finish line and, and actually look okay. Other than that, though, I mean, you, you go down the list, and it's, it's a lot of contracts that either ended uh, where the relationship ended badly or where the, the play just really fell off a map or, uh, you know, in, in some cases, these, you know, Alexi Yashin and Rick DiPietro and guys like that, just really disastrous for the teams involved. So, uh, yeah, there, there's not a ton. Nicholas Baxter, I guess, might be the other one. That, that was 10 years on the nose and, and that one, uh, it, but he was 22 years old when he signed it. So they, they, they weren't buying a bunch of late 30 years, which is unusual for these. Um, but it's a short list. It's a really, really short list. And, you know, you, you bring up Duncan Keith's name there, and Duncan Keith in the news cycle this week as he's on his way to Edmonton. And this one is an interesting deal, right? Because I think there's a lot of people uh, that are saying Duncan Keith is not Duncan Keith anymore. He is maybe a bottom-pairing defenseman, if that. Um, Edmonton obviously believes that he can come in there and help, you know, bring some championship pedigree and experience. Uh, I mean, I, I boy, I, I love the idea of... Look, Duncan Keith obviously wanted to move closer to uh, Western Canada because he's got his son there, hasn't seen him. So you know what? From that human interest uh, perspective, I'm very happy for him. You know what? This last 18 months or so has been very challenging for a lot of people. So if if we can remove the player element for a second, this, this is a great story, okay? But now as we're in... Um, the discussion of talking about this as a as a as a player, there's a lot of people saying the Edmonton Oilers should not have paid the full ticket on Duncan Keith. That he basically wanted out of Chicago, handpicked the Oilers. Edmonton was sitting in a position of strength. They should have made Chicago eat 30, 40, 50 percent of the salary. Did Edmonton miss hit on this one, Sean? From that perspective. Yeah, I I think they did, given the circumstances that they really there were a limited number of teams in play here based on on what Duncan Keith was looking for uh there were maybe only the Oilers it's possible they were only bidding against themselves uh and it's it's a situation where you know look I said last week that I thought Duncan Keith to the Oilers that, that's not a terrible fit I kind of like the idea of Connor McDavid and Leander Seidel Having a guy in the room who has won cups as a superstar, not as a depth guy, not as a backup goalie, but as somebody who was right in that bright spotlight and has been through that and handled it, I don't mind that. Uh, you know, Duncan Keith isn't anywhere near the player he used to be, um, but that doesn't mean that he can't still bring some value uh, to a team like the Oilers. So I don't hate them going out and getting him. But when I said that last week, I put the caveat on it where I said, you know, of course, we assume Chicago is going to have to retain 50 percent of the salary uh, because it seemed like, I mean, that was that that was just going to be a requirement. You're, you're 
certainly not going to take on the full the full value. And Edmonton did. And that concerns me because, uh, you know, if I'm an Oilers fan, I, I'm sitting there going, you know, we we see it all around the league. These deals, man, it gets tight with a flat cap. And suddenly, you know, who knows what situation might present itself at some point down the line where you're saying, boy, if if we only had a couple of extra million, we could make something happen here. And uh, and you don't have it because you're paying a lot of money to Duncan Keith. Now, a couple of caveats on that. It's not a lot of money in terms of real dollars. And that does matter as fans. We, we care about the cap hit, but, you know, they, these teams have to have to live in the real world, too. Uh, it is possible because it's not a lot of money. If Duncan Keith goes to Edmonton, he's just a total disaster. I mean, he's he's just awful. There's a good chance he could retire at the end of the year and and forego that last season and, and Edmonton's off the hook at that point. So there's a few different ways where this might not be as significant a uh, burden on the cap hit as, as, as it could be. But I'm just, man, if I'm an Edmonton fan, I'm listening to Ken Hall and talk about, well, you know, when I went and got Chris Chelios in 99, People thought he was too old. And and first of all, Chris Jellis was coming off Norris caliber seasons. So it's not really a comparison to where Duncan Keith's at right now. But also, that was 20 years ago. That was a completely different league. Uh, and, and if Ken Holland's plan for building the Oilers into a champion involves repeating stuff that he did with the Red Wings 20 years ago, when there was no cap and when it was a very different league and aging curves and everything were very different, I'm concerned if I'm an Edmonton fan that that we're actually in the right hands here and and that we've got a plan going forward that's that's going to work. Sometimes moves like this, maybe the actual move, maybe we overreact to, to how good or bad an individual move is, but it reveals something about the process and the thinking of an organization. And if I'm an Oilers fan, I'm a little nervous right now based on not only how it played out, but but some of Ken Holland's comments afterwards. I'm liking these random Chris Chelios references that keep popping into uh, into. Yeah, he's like podcast. the star of this podcast all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, speaking of getting a window into kind of an organization's thinking, um, I think a lot of people got a window into what the Ottawa Senators are thinking. And listen, that's the team I cover. I've already talked about this on one podcast earlier this week with Haley Salvian. I've written a column on it. So I think people are probably pretty familiar with my take on the Ottawa Senators hiring Pierre Maguire as the uh, senior VP of player personnel. I'd like to get your view on this, Sean, as you saw the news coming out on Monday, and then you've seen some of either Pierre's comments, Pierre Dorian's comments too. Um, we're sitting here now 48 hours after the fact. What do you think of Pierre Maguire in Ottawa? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would say I have mixed feelings on it. This is a guy who has not worked in the NHL, uh, in terms of working for an NHL team in in what twenty years now, um, and you know his his big selling point, this encyclopedic knowledge of every player in the league, that's that's great when you're on live television and you need to be able to pull stuff. I, I don't know how much that really helps an NHL front office. They've got all the resources in the world to to find out about players. I, I don't think the fact that Pierre can do it uh, in three seconds necessarily adds all that much to their thought process. Now, that having been said, he's clearly a smart guy. Uh, he's clearly a guy who who has spent most of his life thinking about the NHL and, and how to build winners in the NHL. He probably does have um, some inside information that, uh, uh, that, that wouldn't be available to other people that could help Ottawa. And as I think you pointed out in your column, 
having a guy who can do some PR for this team will help. This is a team, as you know well, um, even when things are good, they just have this this way of putting their foot in their mouth. And, and you know, whether it's a comment here or a, a soundbite there, and having a guy in Pierre who is very well respected in the media, very well liked in this market, as best I can tell. He's 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 on the radio here in Ottawa all the time, usually very, very positive. Fans uh, fans seem to like him. He'll buy them some credibility. And, and if he's the guy who's in front of the camera, uh, he'd probably be really good at that. And this team could use that. And there, there's value in that. The thing that fascinates me is just the the internal politics of this and and how it's going to work. The fact that you know, two, what was it? Two years ago, when the senators made this big announcement, we we're going to hire a big name president, and then it never happened. They just never brought anyone in. They said in the press, "We we are an attractive destination for big names," and then nobody either wanted the job or was offered. Whatever happened, uh, and uh, and Pierre Maguire's coming in not as a president of hockey ops or something like that. He's coming in reporting into Pierre Dorian in what sounds like essentially from what they were describing an assistant GM role. And yet he's not the assistant GM either. It feels like there's already been like a bunch of what, what's whose title is going to be what, what's the org chart going to look like. And look, it could work. The Dorian and McGuire might find that they work great together. They might be a really good pair. pair. Pierre Dorian's done a lot of good things as GM of the Senators, and and maybe um, you know Pierre Maguire can come in and, and fill in a couple of of additional areas, and it all works beautifully. It might all fall apart real quickly, and you know I, when you ask Pierre Dorian, are you concerned that you just hired your replacement? I think that's an absolutely fair question. I, I, Pierre Maguire has very 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 publicly been going after front office jobs for a long time, and I don't think. He took this job thinking he's going to be uh, essentially a, a glorified assistant GM for uh, for the foreseeable future. Now, whether that's in Ottawa or or it's just a stepping stone to somewhere else, or who knows. But I'm really interested to see how that plays out. And we're not obviously that'll be behind the scenes. We're not going to be uh, we're not going to see most of it. But that's what really interests me. You know, a year, two years, three years from now, are these guys still working together? Well, if so great, this could really work out well for the senators. Or does it become one of those cloak and dagger things where they're, they're positioning for, for the next job already? Uh, in which case, obviously, it, uh, it won't work, but it'll probably be a lot more entertaining for the rest of us. Yeah, and as we wrap up this uh, portion of the conversation, Pierre Dorian, one year left on his contract too. So that is uh, certainly part of the equation. And for anybody who thinks Ottawa is this dull, sleepy, boring government town, I introduce you to the Ottawa Senators. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. 
See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And uh, we're bringing him back uh, after giving him a much needed uh, week off uh, from Granger Things. It's our pal Jesse Granger uh, joining us courtesy of BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us here with The Athletic. Welcome back to the show. Great to have you back, uh, Jesse, after hopefully you had a little bit of downtime here before uh, the offseason cycle uh, kicks up again. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, it's been fun. It's uh, obviously a, a, a long playoff run came to an end. It's become a regular thing in Vegas. And also, um, they're in on every free agent, apparently. So that's also become a thing in Vegas. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, the uh, reason why we got to get you in here is we're already thinking about next season. And there's a lot of fan bases wondering, what are my team's odds to win the Stanley Cup? So maybe walk us through some notable teams here and uh, project out to the 2022 Stanley Cup champion. Yeah, so I was just looking at the future odds, looking at um, where they have teams currently at BetMGM to win next year's Stanley Cup, and a couple teams that popped out to me. Uh, the first one's Colorado, and they are the favorites to win the Stanley Cup next year. Um, surprisingly, Tampa Bay, who has won the last two Stanley Cups, they're only third in the odds. Um, I think that's partially... The odds are created based on what they expect betters to bet, and betters are sick of the Tampa Bay Lightning winning. Um, I think that happens in every sport. Teams win a few in a row. They start to look for maybe who could be that next team, and Colorado's above them, and so is Vegas. But uh, the Avalanche, at only 5-1, to one, you, are, you are not getting very good odds betting on them, and I don't think now is the time to bet the Colorado Avalanche if you are going to, just because of... There are so many UFAs on this team. Gabriel Landeskog obviously is the big one. He's probably the biggest UFA of this class, him and Dougie Hamilton. Um, but they also have Brandon Saad, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, and both goalies, Philip Grubauer and Devin Dubnik. And they do have some cap space, but at the same time, you also have restricted free agent Kale McCarr, who was on an entry-level contract making next to nothing and is now going to be probably one of the highest paid defenders in the league. Uh, at least he deserves to be. So that's going to take up a massive portion of that. And I just don't see how they bring all these guys back. So to me, if I'm betting Colorado, I'm waiting at least until the dust settles, maybe a week after July 28th when free agency opens, to just see what direction they're going at least. It's not that Colorado can't be good, but there are so many different directions this could go with all the moving pieces. So um, that one sticks out to me as a wait on. Uh, don't, don't bet Colorado at plus 500 just quite yet. Um, another team is the Rangers, and for opposite reasons. I think you, you can look at the Rangers right now. They're 25-1 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. Um, that's the 12th best odds, which is kind of, that seems a little high for me. Um, and I think that's partially the odds makers and the market kind of already accounting for what could happen. They were the 16th best team last year. They missed the playoffs. They weren't great, um, but they already are in the in the top 15 in odds to win next year's Stanley Cup, partially because they've got 22 million in cap space. They have no real UFAs on their roster other than maybe Brendan Smith, if you consider him. And I think everyone's kind of wondering if they're going to be the team to land Jack Eichel Uh Wherever he goes is going to have a big impact. The The NHL is not the NBA. The NBA, a single player, LeBron James, whoever that free agent is that offseason, will completely change the odds table with one move. That doesn't happen in the NHL. Doesn't Even if it was Connor McDavid, um, one player doesn't just does not impact the game enough in hockey for it to, to have that kind of swing. But I do think Eichel's probably the closest thing you could have to that. And then I think if you combine everything else with the Rangers where... I think there's some momentum with some younger players there. They get Gerard Gallant, who I know covering him in Vegas is a very good coach. If they could add Jack Eichel and they have room to add more, I think if you could get the Rangers at 25 to 1 right now, you'd be feeling a lot better than if you bet them at whatever it was if you wait for them to make these moves. 
Another team, Edmonton, uh, they are plus 2,800, so 28 to 1 to win. They're right in the middle. I think Edmonton's a, a team that prior to the move that they made the other day, I was thinking, okay, they're in a weak Pacific division. I just wrote a story on how weak the Pacific division is going to be um, from a Vegas perspective. They lost Colorado, Minnesota, St. Louis, and Arizona, and they're adding three Canadian teams that struggled. Um, Edmonton obviously did make the playoffs. The other two didn't in Vancouver and Calgary. And you're adding Seattle, which is an unknown. So I think there's one team that made the playoffs last year in the Pacific Division. Or sorry, that won a playoff game uh, in the Pacific Division. That's Vegas. So if you're Edmonton, it's wide open. There's not a whole lot to compete with. You're going to get a playoff spot there. And they had $12 million in cap space, and they spent half of it on Duncan Keith. Um, so I was a little more optimistic about Edmonton before, but they still have moves to make. I think if you could get Edmonton at 28 to 1. If they find a way to make some moves to give McDavid and Dreisaitl some help, um, I think that could be a, a, a team that goes down in odds. That If you bet them at 28 to 1 right now, you could f- be feeling really good about yourself at the end of free agency. And finally, the Kraken. Um, I think this is fascinating to me. Um, just from Vegas, I watched how it all unfolded for the Golden Knights. And before the Golden Knights ever had a player, they were 500 to 1 to win the Stanley Cup. And because they were Vegas's hometown team, there were quite a bit of people that, that put money on that team at 500 to one. And I can remember talking to odds makers leading into the Stanley Cup final that year. And they were saying, yeah, this is the most liability we've ever had, especially on a hockey team, because hockey is just not as, as, as heavily bet as football and basketball. And uh, I remember them saying, like, we're going to be out of business, but we'll still be at the parade having fun because that's our team too. Like it, the odds makers, that's our favorite team, but we're going to be, we're going to be unemployed by the time we get to the parade because we're all going to lose all of our jobs. Well, I think they've learned their lesson. Uh, the Kraken are not 500 to one. They are only 50 to one right now, which is an insane adjustment from, I mean, you have to account Vegas's cup run into it, but the fact that they are not only 500 to one, the, the teams with the highest odds are actually the Sabres and Red Wings. They're both 200 to one. Um, The Kraken are tied for 21st in odds with the Kings and the Vancouver Canucks at 50 to one. So you go from the last expansion team just four years ago with the same exact rules. And I think after what the Golden Knights have done, these odds makers are terrified of what Seattle is going to be. So before they even have a single player on their roster, they have better odds than 10 teams in the NHL. (laughs) That hurts. That hurts for those teams a team that has literally nobody on the roster is is better than you. But I, ju- I do want to highlight what you said about Vegas and how long their odds were and, and everything. Just let's just keep that in mind because I still have people telling me, oh, everybody knew Vegas was going to be good because the, uh, the draft was rigged and Gary Bettman made sure they were going to be good. Everybody knew this team was going to be good. No, they didn't. And that's why they almost broke the uh the the books uh literally uh based on those odds it was it was not something that anyone saw coming which made it even more amazing uh in even in hindsight and i and i it's that 500 to 1 remained it was that way for i think a couple games into the season now yeah they, they started oh, yeah. like it's five not, it's, and it's one like they drafted players right. and then everyone went oh they got uh william carlson okay now <laughs> james neal it's changed yeah. it doesn't it didn't change at all yeah <laughs> Yeah, and 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 then they they won a couple games, and the money started pouring in. And as as people know, um, the odds are are based 
exactly on the market and and what people are doing. So once the money started pouring in, those started shifted. I'm curious to see what will happen with the Kraken. I would definitely not bet them at 50 to 1 just because I think, like I said, that's a massive correction. I think it might be an overcorrection. I think the Golden Knights have set the bar for what these expansion rules lead to um, incredibly high, almost unreachably high for Seattle. So it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, the the expectation difference between what Vegas was going to be and and what Seattle's going to be. I feel I almost feel bad for for management in Seattle because people are, I don't think they're expecting what Vegas did, but. The expectations of the of the floor for an expansion team are a lot higher now. In in closing here, let me ask you guys this question. I know we kind of hit on Jack Eichel, maybe maybe uh, playing a little bit with the odds. Do either of you think Seth Jones can have that kind of impact? And and I'll use Colorado as an example. If Seth Jones to call goes to Colorado, does that somehow make them more of a even though the top of the chart? Does that enhance their odds? And is there any other place that you guys think that you know what if Seth Jones ends up here? that team will be significantly better. I think, yes, I do. And, but I think it has to be a really good team, right? Like, like I was saying earlier, in basketball, a free agent, Kevin Durant, LeBron James, whoever it is, they can pick literally any bottom feeder in the league, and they're suddenly the second favorite to win the title the moment they make that decision. Eichel and Jones, that just can't happen in hockey. You put, obviously, Buffalo's 200 to 1 with Jack Eichel. So, so that, that kind of, imp- but like, I, I do think you, you mentioned a great one, Colorado. I mentioned them because there's so much uncertainty there. And why I wouldn't bet them at 500 to 1? Because it's like, they may not have Landeskog, Brandon Saad, Brett Belmar is, was a big, important yeah. piece to that team. But like you said, if they get Seth Jones and, and they re sign Kale McCarr, and it's like, oh my gosh, 500 to 1 is not even good enough on them. You've got to, you've got to take that odds even higher. So um, I do think that Jones could have an impact, but it's got to be on a team that's already has a chance to win it without him, if that makes sense. Perfect stuff. Hey, listen, Jesse, we'll leave it there. Great to have you back uh, this week. Listen, enjoy the week. I know this is going to be pretty fun for you watching from afar uh, with the expansion draft. I know Vegas isn't involved, but uh, I'm sure you're going to be watching with a lot of interest. Thanks for this. And we'll get you again next week. Thanks for having me, guys. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. 
All right. Always great to get to Jesse Granger back in the saddle. And uh, look, we were just talking about Jack Eichel, uh, Sean, with Jesse. And as we open up the, uh, the the mailbag here, a reminder, you can hit us up with an email to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Or if you want to drop us an old school voicemail, we would love to hear from you. 845-445-8459. Nick is writing in here with a, uh, I guess, a little bit of an off-season plan, Sean, for the Buffalo Sabres. And Nick says, um, listen, like to start with a buyout of Kyle Pozo, but after that, if the Sabres are able to move Jack Eichel and get a first-round pick back, let's say they send Eichel to Anaheim and get the number three pick back, along with prospects, what do you think the odds would be that they turn around and use that number three pick overall send it to Seattle as an incentive for them to take Jeff Skinner. Um, I understand uh, Skinner's got a uh, full no movement clause. A fresh start, though, at 29 might be good for him. If I'm Buffalo, I'm doing anything in my power to move that contract, even if it means giving up the number three pick overall. Um, I got to tell you, I don't love that idea. Like, I, I well, you could... Count me in on, hey, if you want to try and dump Jeff Skinner, dump Jeff Skinner. But if you're getting the prime piece you're getting back for Jack Eichel, you can't turn around and attach that to Jeff Skinner, can you? That's just it's me. It's a tough sell. It, boy, it would be a tough sell, especially if it, if it went down with a Jack Eichel trade and you get the pick and Sabres fans are talking themselves into it and then you, you pull the rug out from under them and send the pick somewhere else. It, look, here, here's the thing. I'll give I'll give that listener credit. I'll give I'll give Nick credit because he's he understands something that a lot of fans don't seem to understand very well, which is that it takes a lot to get a contract like that Jeff Skinner contract off the books. That that might be at this point the worst contract in the league. I think you could make a case given how many years are left, given how it's it's structured, it's you know, it, it doesn't even backdive all that much, so it's it's going to be hard to trade. It's obviously way underwater as far as the value that the player is is currently bringing, um, and it's got six years left. So you're not going to get a team to take that deal by throwing them a third round pick. You're not going to be able to get them to take that deal by tossing them a, a prospect or somebody like that. It's going to cost you a lot, and I'm not even sure Seattle does it, even with even for a pick that high, um, given what the draft looks like this year, um, given how much is still on the books for Jeff Skinner. I, I'm not even sure that Seattle does it. So it, it's, uh, you know, I, I give him credit because he's being realistic about what it would take. Um, and it, obviously a fresh start here really does feel like like something that that both sides need. I'm just not sure how you can do it. And so at that point, uh, you know, unless it's a buyout at some point, you're probably... Maybe in a situation where you say, you know, let, let's see what Jeff Skinner does with a full year of Don Granato. It, it obviously wasn't working with Rolf Kruger. That that felt like a relationship that was just completely broken beyond repair. Maybe give this guy a whole, you know, give him an offseason, a training camp, everything to adjust. Come in, fresh set of eyes, have Don Granato sit him down and say, look, the past is the past. I'm not worried about whatever happened here before. Um, and you go from there. And maybe he doesn't come back as a 40-goal guy, but if he can become a 20-goal guy, then suddenly, yeah, okay, maybe there's some value there. Some other team can see if we retain salary, whatever it is. But um, yeah, if you're looking to just wash your hands of the whole thing, 
it's going to cost you that much to get another team to do it. Even a team with no cap commitments and all the space in the world like Seattle, I don't even know if they would do it for that high of a pick. One other email question here comes in from Chris, and we talked about this last week where the Montreal Canadiens lost the Stanley Cup final to Sean to Tampa. We said it's the classic NHL story. Cinderella gets to the Stanley Cup, and then the clock strikes midnight, and the old carriage turns into a pumpkin, and they never win the Stanley Cup. But Chris says, listening to you guys last episode, um, would you not consider the 2019 St. Louis Blues a Cinderella story? They were in last place overall in the league on January the 3rd that year, then scratched their way into the Stanley Cup playoffs and won the whole thing on the back of a rookie goaltender uh, in Jordan Pittington. So where do we come down on the 2019 St. Louis Blues? Because you know what? I think uh, I think Chris makes an excellent point. Certainly, um, they fit the mold of a Cinderella team. So did Cinderella win the Stanley Cup in 2019? Yeah, it's it's a fair question. And uh, I think that if you're looking at the season as a whole, yes, the Blues would qualify as a Cinderella team. Last place overall in the league, halfway through the season, goes on to win the Stanley Cup. That's a Cinderella story. The reason I exclude them is because I'm just looking at playoff runs. And by the time the playoffs arrive, the Blues have been so good in the second half that a lot of a lot of us had already caught on that this was a real good team and that this was a legitimate contender. And and when I was writing the piece that we were referring to last week, I actually went back to check this because you know hindsight's a weird thing, and sometimes you know maybe the reason there's no Cinderellas winning the cup is that as soon as a team wins the cup, we just don't think of them as Cinderella anymore, and, and we've got a blind spot to it. And I went back and looked, and if you look at the odds. When the playoffs began in 2019, the Blues were were fairly high up the list. I think they were seventh or eighth best odds in the league out of the 16 playoff teams. So not a favorite, um, but not an underdog either, and and not a team that uh, that was in in the same circumstances as Montreal this year, where nobody gave them a shot, even even as they were even even after they won in the first round, or the Minnesotas or some of the other teams where it was it really did feel shocking all the way along. I think by the time the playoffs started, if that's where you start your snapshot, I don't think the Blues were Cinderella anymore because we had already figured out they were good. But yeah, if you go back to January, absolutely they would uh, they would qualify. One uh, yeah, boy. One other thing about that that team though, like that St. Louis team in 2019. Like, I'd love to know exactly, like you said, like if you could go right at the, like the Habs this year, when you went into the playoffs, you're like, that's a classic Cinderella team. They probably would have been out of the 16 playoffs teams, I don't know, 14th or 15th, whatever, like in the odds, right? But like, you're right. Like the Blues going into that run, I think a lot of people are like, I don't want to see the Blues. Whereas like, if you're a team, you're like, I don't want to face St. Louis, the Red Hot. Whereas the Habs, you're, I think a lot of teams are like, oh yeah, bring them on. Right, like at yeah. that, and that's probably the the only way. But but it's a good that, point. That's by the Chris. thing, right? Like even after Montreal, they beat Toronto, and everyone went, "Ah, it's Toronto." They always check. Yeah, they beat exactly. Winnipeg, and okay, it's Winnipeg. Even then, they were Montreal was sitting home and cooled out, two rounds deep into the playoffs, waiting to see who they were going to play. And people are saying they're going to get swept in the next round. They've got no chance. And it was, I mean, people who listen to the show remember we were tearing our hair out, going, "No, this is a real team. You got to pay attention to these guys." Um, to me, that's a playoff. Cinderella run, but other people might look at it differently. Yeah, all right, let's uh, wrap up the show as we always do with a little This Week in Hockey History. And, uh, you know, middle of July is not a time where you would think there would be a lot of uh, juicy stories in the hockey world, but we got, uh, well, one of them that's really juicy. 
So we're going to take our listeners back uh, once again to the summer of 1994, although this one won't involve Chris Chelios, I don't think. Uh, July 15th, 1994. 31 days after the New York Rangers win the Stanley Cup, Mike Keenan abruptly leaves his job. He cites a, quote, breach of contract obligations. And then 48 hours later, he's unveiled as the new head coach. And I, I believe general manager too, right? With the St. Louis yep. Blues. He's mm -hmm. given dual authority. We'll get to that uh, kind of dual hats thing in, in our next item. But let's let's get, let's get dive into this because this would be equivalent. Just to, to again, for our younger listeners, imagine two weeks from now, John Cooper leaves the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you're like, what? And he's like, and then, he, then like two days later, he just surfaces as the head coach in St. Louis or Nashville or some uh, totally random city. what the, the NHL had to get involved in this too, Sean, right? Yep. Like Gary Bettman is involved. There ended up being like a compensation package involving Peter Nedved and mm -hmm. Essen in. Like what happened here? Like it's this, been this, almost 30 years. What happened? It's here? another one of these classic, just bizarre NHL stories that if you, if you weren't around as a fan, you, you, probably wouldn't believe how it went down. And and let me start with this, because you, you talked about, well, what if it was John Cooper? We kind of saw this a few years ago with Barry Trotz. Remember, he wins the cup in Washington, and then suddenly you hear this whisper that, oh, he's, he's actually got an out in his contract, and he's exercising that, and next thing he winds up with the Islanders. So I'm sure some fans today are going, oh, it's, it's the Barry Trotz thing. We saw that. But it's not, because here's the thing. The difference is with Barry Trotz, he did have an out in his contract. Everybody agreed to that. Washington wanted to keep him, uh, presumably, but everybody agreed and acknowledged that the contract said what it said, and he had the, the right to pursue it. Mike Keenan did not have an out in his contract. What Mike Keenan had, uh, in addition to the having the devious mind of Mike Keenan, uh, he had some bonuses in his contract, and what happened is one of those bonuses, according to him, was one day late. That's it. And based on that, he stood up and declared his con his own contract null and void and declared himself a free agent. And the Rangers are sitting there going, no, you're not a free agent. You don't have the right to talk to any other teams. But Mike Keenan said, because of this one day delay in this bonus that I say I didn't get in time, I'm now a free agent. I can negotiate with anyone I want. And as this is happening 48 hours later, he's already got a deal with the Blues. And it was an enormous mess. He's he's signing a contract to be the coach and GM of the Blues. The Rangers still think Mike Keenan works for them. Uh, Gary Bettman has to come in and get involved. Uh, th there's all these negotiations. The Red Wings are involved too because the Red Wings were negotiating with Mike Keenan at the same time. And there was a lot of talk of, you know, wait a second, how much negotiating can you do in 48 hours? Or were these teams maybe knocking on the door before then? And there was some tampering going on and should it have been tampering anyways because the Rangers thought that this guy was was their property the, the whole time. It ended up being a big mess. Uh, Gary Bettman eventually stepped in. He, he suspended Mike Keenan for two months. He couldn't start as coach or GM at the Blues uh, until whatever it was, September. Uh, he fined pretty much everyone involved, including the Rangers, because the Rangers, as part of this, sued Mike Keenan, and Gary Bettman didn't like that. He wanted this handled in-house. He didn't like that they went outside and, and started their own lawsuit. So he, he finds... The Rangers, even though they're the, the supposed victims here, he finds Mike Keenan, he finds the Blues, he finds the Red Wings, who didn't even get the guy. <laughs> um, and also, he forces the teams to make this trade, St. Louis and, and New York, 
uh, where basically St. Louis gives Peter Nedved to the Rangers for a couple of veterans. Peter Nedved was a good, good young player back then. Uh, so it's, it's a lopsided trade where basically the, the, the blues are giving up Peter Nedved in exchange for the rights to Mike Keenan, a total mess, absolute, you know, ton, hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and everything. But the key is they did allow Mike Keenan to go to St. Louis and become the coach in the GM there, which of course paid off in all sorts of, uh, bizarre and, and ridiculous things that he did in terms of managing that team. And that's how you get Wayne Gretzky in, in St. Louis and all these other big name, uh, veterans who follow Mike Keenan around. Uh, Mike Keenan was absolutely, and honestly, one of the most entertaining and, uh, just as long as he wasn't running your team, oh my goodness, was the NHL ever more fun when Mike Keenan was, was making decisions because you, you never knew what he was going to do. Uh, and that was true in St. Louis. It was true in New York. It was true in Vancouver, everywhere he went, Philadelphia, as well as Chicago in the early nineties when he feuded with Chris Chelios had to bring it all back for you. There we go. It all comes back to Chelios. By the way, you mentioned Detroit was kicking the tires on Mike Keenan in that little window, but Scotty Bowman was their coach. At the time, like Scotty had already it served one season, 93, 94, because I double checked this. What are you telling me? The Detroit Red Wings would have punted Scotty Bowman for Mike Keenan. That's a great question. I didn't even I didn't even think of that angle. Yes. I, would they have or was this? I mean, I know at the time when when Scotty took over, there had been some talk that whether he really wanted to be the coach, whether this was something he was going to do long term. Um, I, maybe he was in on it and was thinking about uh but oh geez, you talk about a uh, a what if scenario. That Detroit team that is three years away from a Cup dynasty. What if they bring in Mike Keenan? I mean, that Mike Keenan is a GM at Detroit. We're talking at this point. It's not does he trade Steve Eiserman? Oh, it's who does it's, he get <laughs> for Steve Eiserman? Yeah. Who did I? And there were I mean, geez, there were rumors. There was talk at the at the time just to give you a sense of how crazy NHL off seasons used to be. As we're all sitting around. Talking, we're on day three of talk breaking down the 38-year-old Duncan Keith trade. Uh, back then, one of the rumors was that uh, at the same time this was going on, the Rangers were having trouble getting Mark Messier under contract. He he was a, a, a not an unrestricted free agent, but he needed a new deal or wanted a new deal, and he was holding out. And there was a rumor that was fairly well reported that they were going to trade Mark Messier to the St. Louis Blues for okay. Brett Hull. And that Messier was going to go with Keenan to St. Louis and Brett Hall was going to come to New York. Now, Neil Smith and other people have said that never happened. That was never a discussion. I suspect that what may have been happening was Mike Keenan may have been planting that story just to mess with his his former team. Uh, but that was the level of rumor we used to be dealing with. You know, these days it's, oh, is Alex Kerfoot going to go to Seattle? Back then it was like, yeah, Messier for Hall. Who says no? And uh, And we just rolled with it. All right, one other one, and I mentioned uh, kind of the, wearing the dual hats, a general manager and a head coach. July 14th, 1999, this week in hockey history, uh, Pat Quinn, who's already the head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Sean, adds the title of general manager to his portfolio, essentially making Pat the last true head coach GM combo. And I, I guess, is the, is the salary cap the thing that really killed the idea of this happening? Like, or, or do you think it's possible that somebody could be head coach and GM still in the year 2021. I mean, it it seems unlikely, uh, which is surprising because, you know, Pat Quinn had a lot of success 
in Toronto in that role. Uh, you know, Daryl Sutter was another guy who did the, both jobs in Calgary for a bit and took them almost to a Stanley Cup. There, you know, other guys not so much. Doug McLean comes to mind. Mike Keenan in a lot of places didn't necessarily have a ton of success. Um, but I, I think it, it's not even so much the cap. It's just everything is so specialized right now. Uh, the, the GM jobs we're told is so much more complicated. I, again, I don't necessarily buy that, but I've said before, I think part of the reason we don't get cool trades like Brett Hall for Mark Messier anymore is because every front office is a dozen guys now and you got to get everybody in the room and everyone's got gets a vote and everybody gets to agree. It used to just be two GMs could sit down have a couple of beers and shake hands. And, and that was a deal. And now it's, it's so specialized and, and the coaching staffs as well. And it's just possible that, yeah, we can't have two guys or one guy doing two jobs anymore um, because it just uh, it's just too much. We've seen it for the short term. You know, we've seen GMs fire a coach and step in behind the bench. Bob Murray did it uh, recently. Lou Lamorello does it every few years. Um, But as far as doing it for the long term, I don't know. But it guys have had success with it. And boy, if you want your GM to know what's going on with the team and really know who's who's doing what and who's pulling their weight and who maybe isn't having a coach GM is, uh, would be a pretty, uh, a pretty good way to do it. It, it just doesn't feel like it's something that's, uh, that's going to be on the table for teams anymore. No. Yeah, you're right. And it's just like the idea of like, there used to be player coaches too, which is even more mind blowing, yeah, right? That's, that's crazy that, uh, that, that, that used to happen. You just get to the bench. Uh, hold on, boy. I'm a little winded. So I'll tell you who's up. Uh, just give yeah. me a few seconds and, yeah, that was that we won't ever see again. But no. uh, Coach GM, I don't know. We we only need one team to try it and have some success, and then knowing this league, everybody, you know, every cheap owner would be going, "Why am I paying two guys if I could I could just pay one guy to do both jobs for me?" Exactly, two for the price of one. All right. So as we uh, wrap up this show again, want to remind you the two man advantage of the Athletic Hockey Show. They're coming your way Thursdays. For the rest of this month, uh, Pierre Lebrun, Scott Burnside, they're going to have Arizona Coyotes new head coach Andre Tourney uh, with them, as well as former NHL GM Dean Lombardi. So that comes your way on Thursday. And uh, a reminder, we've got the Friday podcast show, too, uh, with the prospects with Corey Pronman and Max Boltman. So that does it for us. Thanks for joining us. We'll get you again on Wednesday of next week. As always, email us to the Athletic hockey show at gmail.com and if you're not a subscriber you can join us uh theathletic.com slash hockey show and you'll get a subscription for just $3.99 a month As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel.
Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. 